0: You're listening to the support report with be present, where we share real stories from young adults and how support changed their lives. Hey, thanks for tuning into another episode of the support report. We are be present. I am your host, Justin Peters. And as always, I am joined by my co host, Kiara Riga. Kiara, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you, Justin? I'm doing great. Really excited for this conversation. Who else is joining us today? So today
1: we have Haley Johnson, Johnston, excuse me, um, who started Escape Young Adult Cancer. Um, Escape cultivates a space for adolescent and young adult cancer patients to feel uh, represented and to highlight the LGBTQIA plus voices within the community. So Haley, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you. Hi, happy to be here. So do you want to start off just telling us a little bit about your cancer story?
2: Yeah. So um, about 10 years ago, when I was 16 years old, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, six weeks after my mom, who was also diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, same stage. um, And I was 16 years old at the time, I think I might have just said that. I was 16 at the time my mom was uh, 41. And something that was unique about our experience was not only were we going through the diagnosis together, but our treatment plans were different and we were being treated at different hospitals. So I was being treated in pediatric care. And something I was just experiencing while in pediatrics was that there really wasn't any resources for my age group. And that went as far as like support, just general supports in the space. Childlife didn't have a lot of resources for teenagers going through cancer. My bed was often too small for me um, being five eight. And um, I didn't have any peers um, going through what I was going through around the same age. So I wanted to do something about it. And I started Escape um, with some friends at my high school and we did donation drives for teenage patients. So we collected video games and consoles and, um, different art supports, uh, for the population at the pediatric hospital. And we helped with getting their adolescent young adult program, um, started a few years back. So that is how ESCAPE started. Um, I took a hiatus uh, with the program and the project as a whole when I started dealing with late side effects from my treatment. Um, I was also in a transitional point of my life where I was going into college. So I took a break from in college and then I started coming into my own identity um, as being queer. And I wanted to meet peers that identified similarly to me, and I did at a um, national conference for cancer survivors, patients, and caregivers. And during this LGBT session um, in 2018, we were all sitting there. There was like, there's nowhere for us, like, outside of this, like annual group where we're all sitting here from all over the country and that sucks honestly so i was like i'll just make a facebook group and um that facebook group grew from just the like 12 to 15 of us there to over 100 people within a week and then i was just like okay there is a need here um, when it comes to serving the adolescent and young adult Cancer community, so it stayed as just a Facebook group for a while with very sporadic uh, Zoom calls here and there, just for people like pop on and hang out. And um, then there was a virtual conference uh, when the pandemic hit. And I want people to be able to just find our resource. Um, some friends of mine at the um, Transgender Cancer Patient Project um, had a booth, and so they're like, "Hey, like, let us know what you want us to put on this like resource page we have." And so I built a website in like eight <laughs> you hours. Did it on your own?
0: <laughs> on your own, you did?
2: Yeah, through Wix. It was uh, just like a template.
0: <laughs> but still, that's still impressive. <laughs>
2: Uh thank you. But yeah, I built this website just so people could find the Facebook group, and then I had all of these organizations reaching out to me, like, "Hey, like this is awesome. What are you doing? Like, how long have you been established?" And um, so we we kind of just exploded overnight, and through that, it's been really exciting because we've been able to bring light to the needs of our community, but also really get it out there that we're a resource for the LGBTQ plus cancer community. And so our programs now, we have the Facebook group still, we have a Snapchat group, um, which is very active and very fun. And we have our monthly virtual meetup, which is just a casual meetup for anybody that identifies as LGBTQIA plus um, has had cancer, is going through cancer, or is an LGBTQIA plus adolescent or young adult caregiver. Um, and it's been great. <laughs> um, we have just so much fun as a group, but also we talk about things that are impacting us personally. And it's become a, a beautiful sense of found family And uh, we have a new writing group now that's going to be meeting monthly. We're working with um, Bright Spot Network on um, creating a LGBTQ parent group. So uh, things are happening and they're happening really quickly. And we're um, in the process of uh, filing for our 501c3 status. So um, (laughs) yeah, it's really exciting stuff. And uh, we're so excited to be here today.
0: Congrats. That's, that's super awesome. Uh, that's very impressive. What can you expect in the, the Snapchat group?
2: <laughs> a lot of dog and cat pictures. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's cool. So you mentioned Snapchat group. You have a monthly Zoom meetup. I love the idea on the uh, writing group that's come up. Is that Was that your idea or did that stem somewhere else?
2: Um, there's been requests for it for a few months. We just
0: didn't have the bandwidth until
2: recently. So uh, we're getting that off the ground finally.
0: That's super cool. So let's back up and talk a little bit more about your cancer story. A little bit. You skimmed over it very quickly, so if people didn't hear that, you were diagnosed six weeks after your mom was diagnosed, and you initially became her caregiver. And then it sounded like almost burnt yourself out. You got uh, what you thought was mono, but it was actually strep. Uh, and then you went to the the uh, hospital and realized that you also had cancer as well. Can you share a little bit more details about that time? And you're also one of six, the oldest of six, your dad works like an hour away as well. Like there is so much going on here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm the oldest of six kids. Um, and I was my, I started out just caregiving for my mom. I was, um, I took on a lot at 16 years old, just trying to support her as she was going through treatment my siblings that were in soccer practice and had homework and, um, my dad worked full time. And so um, it came with a lot of responsibility. And I was also sick <laughs> as I was doing all of this stuff and telling myself, you know, well, it's not cancer. It'll have <laughs> cancer like my mom. And then it actually was. Um, <laughs> and it was a really interesting process with getting diagnosed because since my mom had already been diagnosed, we had the same primary care physician. Nobody really thought that it could have been cancer for me. Like that seems too out there of an idea for it to be real, right? So um we I went through a lot more testing than my mom did for different things before we um concluded on it being lymphoma. And um the my oncologist had like said that it looked like just based on the scans comparatively to my mom um, that I probably had it before she did. So um, while we were both the same stage, uh, stage 2A, I was at a later stage of stage 2A than she was. Um, So it was um, really interesting because what I had already seen her go through, um, with her cancer treatment, it was completely different than what I ended up experiencing with my chemotherapy. So, uh, I didn't have a good basis of what to expect for myself. Um, it just impacted us completely differently because our treatments were not the same. So, um, yeah. And yeah. F- A few months went by, we got through our chemo, we both did mantle radiation. And honestly, I'd say that was worse (laughs) than going through the chemo. Um, Couldn't eat anything, couldn't drink anything. Um, And after we were done with our treatment, that was kind of it. We didn't have a huge presence of community. We hadn't lived in North Carolina, very long at that point. I think it was like five, six years. And our local community, they really like showed up when we were in active treatment for chemo. But once the radiation started and everything, there was, um, a huge lack of support. Um, so it made the end of our treatment a lot more difficult. And, um, being 16 years old, you know, there's all of these social pressures that come with that. And you're kind of discovering who you are, you're starting to uh, find what makes you you, and then to have a cancer diagnosis or a life altering um, experience, it it really puts things on pause. Um, And I think because of the lack of understanding surrounding cancer and how it's often portrayed through media um or in conversation even it's treated like it's a death sentence often or um it's portrayed in something that's very dehumanizing and so because of that I had a lot of friends that were scared and stopped talking to me <laughs> um of fear that I was gonna die and that's really hard thing to go through when you're 16 years old and uh you know try and make your way have fun with your friends and then your friends kind of like disappearing because they're scared that you're sick um so that's a little bit about I guess my experience there at that point I wasn't out of the closet I I don't even think I knew I was in one (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) I grew up in a pretty conservative evangelical household. Um, I was pretty sheltered from a lot of things growing up. I was homeschooled for most of my life up until um, eighth grade, too. So there was a lot I was learning about myself and discovering about myself that um, I and there were things I discovered after leaving home about who I am that I didn't have the language or even the um, example to uh in my life to look towards so
0: can you expand on that what do you mean
2: um like I I grew up in an area and in a community where there wasn't really an LGBT presence uh so I didn't know what it looked like to exist as an LGBT person or to um I guess, affirm my feelings and how I wasn't really interested in dating guys (laughs) Um, in a lot of ways. I was, and I kind of was just super focused on academics and I don't know, I just was like, well, that's not really for me. And I didn't really have anything of like, Oh, that would be for me when it comes to these, like, you know, romantic relationships and things like that.
0: But yeah. Hmm. Kara, I saw you shaking your head multiple times while, um, Haley was, you know, sharing her story. Was there something that resonated with you in that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think especially like the, the friends leaving, I, you know, I think that's kind of a universal of of the cancer experience. Right. I definitely, I mean, I was lucky that it was only a handful of people and for some people it made it stronger, but did you have any kind of social support during that time or what did that look like when all of your friends were kind of too scared?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I actually had a boyfriend at the time. (laughs) Um, and he's wonderful. He's this wonderful human being. Um, But I think there was also a level of nervousness with myself where I didn't want um, him in particular to see me sick. Um, And as far as social supports, it was hard because I I went to a charter school. They didn't have a school nurse. Uh, They didn't really have the uh, supports in place either to Um, get me through my academics. So I didn't end up with a homebound educator until I was essentially failing all of my classes because I couldn't get my work turned in. Um, And I had to take time off to do summer school. Uh, And it wasn't because I didn't understand the material or anything, but it just literally was not being delivered to me appropriately. Um, or in a way that was equitable for me to like really excel in my academics. And with um, other social supports, I mean, as far as my friends, like some of my friends could drive, some of them couldn't. (laughs) And I didn't see any of them until I was basically in the clear with my um, treatment. So We lived in North Carolina and uh, transplants there. So my family lived mostly in Missouri and Michigan. I'm based in Michigan now. Um, So as far as familial support, there wasn't a lot there. Um, And it it created a very isolating and lonely experience, honestly, um, at that age. So.
0: And on top of that, I know, like you were mentioning, and so many of our other Guests that come on the show that were diagnosed as a teenager, as well. You're caught in between this spot of pediatrics and being treated as an adult. And you show up, and the wallpaper is, you know, Paw Patrol. Or as you mentioned, the bed is too small. Or in your particular case, there was like really no young adult novels outside of like Twilight and The Fault in Our Stars. And you mentioned you already read Twilight at like 12 and you weren't going to read a book about cancer. Right. It's unbelievable. I still uh, every time that someone comes on and they share that story and this in between stage, I it, it's disheartening. I'm not really sure what the solution would be. If you could change something about that, what would you recommend?
2: Yeah, I think like self advocacy is a big part of it, but it's one of those things too where you're exhausted. You don't want to be <laughs> advocating for yourself every second of the day when you're going through treatment. You just want to feel better you want to get through um your treatment however long that may be and um you want to get through it with comfort i think is a big part of that it being as comfortable as possible and that that's a part of the reason escape has the name it does the other reason escape has the name it does is because We didn't want to have LGBTQ in the name um, to make it safe for those who are not out to their families or communities. Um, We just look like another cancer resource um, on paper. But for those seeking to like make change um, or those who are like, what do we do for this population? (laughs) Um, Ask, you know, and then especially like child life specialists or those who work in pediatric oncology that are working with adolescents and young young adults, ask them what they need and then find a way to get it. Um, And there's been so many amazing organizations um, established since I went through treatment. I went through treatment in 2012. And I'd say there was a huge surge in like adolescent and young adult organizations and supports come up around 2015. And that's really been amazing to see over the past seven years. And um, I'm just really excited about the direction of support that there is now, um, because it just really didn't exist at that time outside of a couple of organizations.
1: I love that. And yeah, I mean, I have lucky is the wrong word, but I've been kind of lucky to be diagnosed in 2020, where there's so many resources out there. And so I like, that's not something that I I mean, I've experienced it to a degree, of course, but like, I can't even imagine what you must have gone through at 16. I yeah. Um, I would love to pivot now and talk a little bit about um, some of the common misconceptions and struggles that we see for AYAs in the LGBTQ cancer community. I think for me, I it wasn't something even on my radar, you know, I'm a, a cis, straight, white woman, and the first time that it kind of came onto my radar was I joined um, an incurable uh, WhatsApp group through the cancer patient. And the day that I joined, there was a trans man talking about the struggles of having, I believe it was ovarian cancer. And that kind of hit me in the face with, oh my God, like what I'm dealing with is nothing compared to what all of these other people in this community are dealing with. And I'm sure that only scratches the surface of, you know, what you deal with in the medical community, socially, et cetera. So I'd really love to hear kind of what, um, what those common misconceptions are and and struggles.
2: Yeah. Um, so I can really only speak to my personal experience with this, but also, um i can touch a bit on just some more generalized um things that we experience as a community um but i'll start with my personal experience first uh i was um finishing up my senior year of college and i felt a lump in my right breast um felt abnormal and so i needed to get it checked out and this um, wasn't super surprising to me um, just based on the treatment I had for lymphoma and the risks that come with that. Um, and I had to get care. I had to get a mammogram and a breast MRI and go through the whole process with breast oncology. And that looked a lot different for me being out and um, being i'd say more visibly queer and how i present myself versus when i was 16 where i had you know long hair or uh dressing more i'd say femme than i do now and um the whole experience overall like i had a really good oncologist but having nurse practitioners that are you know they're it, it being in the South and being um, in a clinic where there are crosses everywhere. And um, it being a young adult too, it was really challenging um, advocating for myself because insurance was fighting me on getting these uh, scans. And even though they were ordered by my doctor, <laughs> And then once I'm in the clinic, you know, there's this assumption, even presenting, I guess, in a button down, and like, um, because they see people with short hair all the time. And I think with cancer and being queer, it's like, do you have short hair because you have cancer or because you're queer? For me, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> the latter at this point. But um, there's often this assumption that you have a husband or you have a boyfriend and it happens. A lot and they're kind of just asking like oh like I, I was asked once like oh like who who's your boyfriend what's their name and then I respond with um Amy right <laughs> like, <laughs> um <laughs> and then there's an awkward silence and um the nurse leaves the room <laughs> so it's That's like one example of an experience I've had. Um, But I think it also just comes to overall medical understanding of the needs and the differences in care for different people. And when you're treating patients who are transgender um, for a reproductive related cancer um, or breast cancer, um the the women specific gendered language we use regarding reproductive cancer um can be really harmful and is really harmful because it's not only women who are experiencing these cancers um but it is men it is non-binary people it is two-spirit people and agender people (laughs) there there's a lot of layers to identity for all people and how we express ourselves and how we identify in the world. And the medical space hasn't caught up to that yet. Um, I think we are in a world now where there's been a bit more freedom to express ourselves openly as um, an LGBTQ community, but We also still experience a a lot of discrimination in the space, um, but not just in cancer, in our everyday lives. And so it's like, I feel a little on edge kind of on a regular basis, especially with the amount of legislation out right now against our community. There's over 300 pieces of legislation um, aimed against The LGBT community right now, and we are only seven months into the year at this point.
0: (laughs) It's uh, it's it's disappointing, honestly. I you said you used the word "yet" as you finish there, which signifies that you have some hope that we are making strides and we are moving there. And I believe that as a general public, it seems like we are. But when it comes to legislation, we are. I feel like sometimes moving backwards, and of course, we are less than. A week from the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which was really disappointing and impactful to mm-hmm. the LGBTQ community, especially the cancer space. It can you Absolutely. and you you did an awesome um, post on how this is affecting that group in particular. Can you bring a couple things to light here? And I, I can read one yeah. as you give some time to to think about this as well. But you know, something I didn't yeah. even think about was. Um, the community and AYA cancer patients alike also rely on fertility preservation and family planning through IVF and the overturn of Roe versus Wade could make this process illegal in at least 13 states with trigger laws that define life as beginning at the moment of fertilization. That seems like a pretty obvious oversight to me.
2: I, I don't know if it's an oversight, (sighs) right? (laughs) I think it's intentional, I think it's deliberate, Um, and I'm speaking on behalf of myself um, in that statement. Um, I have a background in political science also, uh, just as a bit of a preface, so seeing the way our politics have um, morphed, I guess, over the past um, six years now, Um, with the previous administration and where we're at now with our Supreme Court, there's been a lot of deliberate moves to ostracize and take away rights from different populations of people. Um, One of those populations being the LGBTQ community. And so... The overturn of Roe v. Wade, um, while scary and disappointing, I, I'm i not surprised um, personally by it. And what that means for the LGBTQ community, um, it, it could mean our loss or uh, of our right to get married, <laughs> um, to be in relationships and to have legal custody of our children. Uh, I think that's another layer there. And that relates to this potential for cancer patients, LGBTQ people, or people who deal with fertility loss or issues, not being able to build their families in that way. Um, And, when adoption isn't an option for a lot of people who have been through cancer, um, because you have to be 10 years in the queer or cured or. Um, to adopt? To adopt, first uh, off. Yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it really hard to
1: adopt as a cancer patient. It's, yeah, or wow. a f- previous cancer patient.
0: We should cover that topic sometime. I did not realize this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So if IVF is one of your only options as a cancer patient or an LGBTQ cancer patient or an LGBT person, it's like there goes that ability, right? Um, In at least 13 of these states so far. So um, the impact of this is going to be um, greatly detrimental to the health of women, trans men, non-binary people um, and to, I mean, anybody who is wanting to have the control and the autonomy over themselves <laughs> yeah. um, in their care and in their lives and in the way they build their families. Um, so, yeah, I think it's also fresh too that this is that I'm, I'm coming from this from a very emotional uh, okay. point. Um, but it really sets a stage for those of us in the LGBTQ community to um, be thinking about things beyond just the overturn of Roe v. Wade, but also to be thinking about what will happen if, um, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> dry mouth, um, over Gevelle, um versus Hodges, um, the you know, the right to same-sex marriage or um, the right of unmarried people to use contraception, too. I think that's another big one, like, a little unrelated to the LGBT commu- community, but the, how, how do we, I guess sorry
0: <laughs> i love no I don't
1: apologize and it's i mean like maybe not co- like for the lgbt community in particular but think about the cancer community like i am an unmarried woman and i am in treatment forever and if I don't have access to contraception and abortion is illegal, but my treatment could severely harm a fetus, what am I supposed to do? Right. So it's like, it, it it affects cancer patients. It affects all so many communities that I don't think anyone, maybe they've thought about it and it was intentional. Maybe they haven't considered it. Maybe it's, you know, a loss that they think is okay, but it's, it's something that affects our community so deeply.
2: I think, you know, people have different perceptions on what this means, uh, caring for um, life. But I think if we were really concerned about life, we would be taking care of the life that is here. Okay. in the country, um, And we would be focusing our energy there
0: can agree more. Well, so- Haley, as we are wrapping up this, this conversation, um, I see we only have a couple more minutes and I, I want to be courteous of your time as well. I'll turn it to um, maybe something that will put uh, a smile on listeners' face. Abby mentioned she saw you at CancerCon. You were wearing this bright orange jumpsuit and she quoted that you were the best dancer on the dance floor. So as somebody that is not confident about getting out into the middle of the dance floor, Give me some tips for becoming that person that is quoted as the best dancer on the dance floor. Uh, So (laughs) (laughs) is this true where you did you have the the orange jumpsuit on and everything?
2: I I did have it. Yeah. So my um, best friend, Emily, um, in the cancer space and I, we um, so. I've attended a cancer con for several years, and uh, we have this kind of like pact with each other that when we go, we come out with the most um, avant-garde costume. <laughs> but, so, um, and I actually helped plan that dance. It was Hollywood Nights, and it was red carpet themed, and we were like, "Let's dress up as astronauts." <laughs> <laughs> Um, And that, that's such a high <laughs> <That's so different. laughs>
0: Did you get Abby out on the dance floor too? Huh? Did you get Abby out on the dance floor too? You really should have grabbed her and, and got her in the center of all this. <laughs>
2: um, what is Abby's last name? I know it's Westerman. Were... Westerman. Westerman. Okay.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I'm not sure. I, Emily and I, we kind of just got out there and did our thing. <laughs> I, I love to dance. Um, I think it's very fun. And, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that uh she thought that was fun and exciting.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her. Uh I think she Abby's pretty sneaky, you know, for her age, I'm super impressed with like everything she does as well. I think she's been to like EDC in one of the most recent years as well. So I'm always like, you know what, Abby's probably a sleeper and could probably get out on the dance floor and got some moves, but she'll be listening to this and, and she can rebuttal if she wants to rebuttal on that. <laughs>
2: love it yes no I love getting people to dance and just enjoying themselves I I was so excited about the dance that year and the dance that they've had since dances they've had since of the conference just because with adolescents and young adults there's so many people that don't get to go their proms or their homecoming dances or even just to have that young adult experience of like going to dance bars and clubs because you're going through treatment so it's Such a fun place to just connect with people and have that experience together um, with peers who have gone through similar things. So that's so funny that I really love that you brought that up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, before I ask our final question, I would love to, if you could point the listeners to a specific spot, if they wanted to connect with you, learn more about Escape. where's a good place for them to go?
2: Our website. So you can go to our website at escapeayac.org. And I assume you'll probably have it in the description of the podcast. And that's where you can learn about our initiatives and our programs and our different social media platforms. Our um, Instagram page in particular has a lot of really amazing information on our community and what we're going through. We have a, we we started the first annual LGBTQ Cancer Awareness Week in 2021. And uh, we had our second one this year and I know um, Be Present participated, which is fantastic. So um, there's a lot of really useful information that campaign on, Um, What our experiences look like if you're especially if you're an ally looking to learn more. That's a great place to start. And uh, we have a contact page. So if you have any direct questions, you can contact us there and we're happy to support and uh, be there for you in any way you might need.
0: And I saw that you got the signups for the, the monthly meetup or the Zoom meeting that you guys do, the writing group I saw that was out there as well. I didn't see anything about the Snapchat group, but uh, I'm assuming they can find that at one way or another.
2: Yeah, we generally mention the Snapchat group in our um, meetup just because you have to like add me personally on Snapchat. <laughs> so it's a little wonky, um, but it's fun. <laughs> cool.
0: Well, final question for you. Through your experience... What does great support look like? And feel free to bring this into allyship as well and kind of point it that direction. Um, If somebody is thinking about uh, how to support the community and and particularly uh, people with cancer within this this community.
2: Yeah, just a couple of points to that. I would say leading with empathy as opposed to sympathy is a great starting point. Um,
0: Can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so empathy looking like... I don't know what you're going through. And while I don't share this experience with you, I want to be there for you. And I want to show up for you in the best way I can versus sympathy being like, oh, that's really hard. I'm going to be over here doing my own thing, you know? Um, But showing up in empathy, asking, you know, specific uh, things like, hey, I'm at the grocery store, can I get you anything as far as like food or toilet paper, even (laughs) Um, small things like that or um, offering to take care of the kids if you have children or if your friends going through cancer has children. Um, But great support to me, looks like people just showing up um, and in the capacity that they're able and it doesn't even have to be offering to do something sometimes all you really just need is somebody to treat you how you, they've always treated you share with you what they're going through I think something I ran into a lot was people like not wanting to share with me anymore about like things they were going through or their own personal struggles because I was going through cancer and sometimes it's really nice to just hear about the lives of the people people you care most about and what they're experiencing and, um, not focusing on what you're going through in that moment and, um, great support, um, in the sense of active listening, listening to what the people in your life who are going through cancer or are LGBTQ or, um, BIPOC or disabled community, like listening to these different communities that have been marginalized in the cancer space or in general, and especially in the United States, and listening and acting upon what's been asked of these communities. Um, there's a lot out there for allyship and support. It really just takes a quick Google search, honestly. So um, starting there and making your allyship intentional and a part of your practice and how you move throughout the world, I think, is uh, one of the biggest ways people can show up.
0: Couldn't agree more. Haley, thank you so much for giving so much of your time. Um, I'm glad that we got to expand on a lot of different topics that were top of mind for me and hopefully um, top of mind for you as well. So it's been a blast. Uh, really enjoyed this. Big thank you from the Be Present organization. Really excited to continue our partnership and and see where our, our relationship brings us.
2: Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been great.